Today, I want to talk about Solomon. Uh, we are in chapter 13 of the story. And if you read chapter 13 of the story, which uh, we've hit a line. Chapter 13 is Solomon. Chapter 14 is Jeroboam and Rehoboam. And we've hit the line of common Bible knowledge. Until we get to the New Testament. What we know, what you learn from here on out will probably be something that you might not have known before. There will be names that you haven't heard before. There will be names that you will never again be able to pronounce properly, and that's fine. You don't have to. Just see them and move on. But we have hit a line where we know Solomon, but you might not be all that familiar with Rehoboam. So I, I, I really push you to read chapter 14 of the story this week, and we'll talk about it next Sunday. But as for Solomon, you may know the name, and you may know the one determining factor about Solomon. Solomon was wise. Solomon, we know two things about Solomon, actually. Solomon was wives, and Solomon had wives. And we will find out, we will find out what the Bible thinks about that pretty soon. You've got to remember, uh, the, the, the author of First Kings isn't writing these things as they are happening. The author of First Kings is not surprised by the narrative like we are. Now, we aren't often surprised because every Bible has spoiler alerts at the top of every paragraph, right? Jesus rises from the tomb. If you didn't know that happened, they just ruined the ending of the story for you. I don't like those headings. I like reading them, and that's in the story. We have these, these, uh, the lack of the headings. You get to find out what happens next without being told before you find out. You get to experience the story as it goes. But Solomon is being written about by someone who knows the whole story. Solomon is being written about in 1 Kings by someone who knows what happens at the end of 2 Kings. And although you might know, not know, the author does. And so he's seeing while telling us the smaller story of Solomon, he's telling us the larger story of the people of Israel. And that large story is not one of wisdom. And at first it may be one of prosperity, but it is not one that is, uh, that is smiled upon by the author and is not one that is celebrated in retrospect. Solomon is not the end of the upward motion of the story of Israel. Solomon is the beginning of the down. Solomon's wisdom is fantastic. Now, can we quit calling him the wisest man to have ever lived? Y'all remember Jesus? Can we quit? Yes, Old Testament. Wisest man ever. But let's give our king some credit. 
Solomon was a wise man. Before God, he asked for wisdom. But his story is one that is not like you would think. It happens not like you would think it would happen. Uh, it starts off uh, in First uh, Kings chapter 2. His mother campaigns for him. Uh, then First Kings chapter 1. Because there was some... Uh, David's oldest son was going to set up shop on the throne. And remember David had promised Bathsheba that her son would be king. And Nathan goes to Bathsheba and says, Hey, you need to go remind him. Because men need to be reminded. Yeah. Go remind him of what he told you. And so she does. And he put Solomon as king. When the time drew near for David to die, he gave a charge to Solomon, his son. I am about to go the way of the earth. He said, be strong, act like a man, and observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in obedience to him and keep his decrees. His laws and regulations as written in the law of Moses. Do this so that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you go. Did you catch it? Did you catch the condition? Walk in the ways of the Lord. Do this so that you will prosper in all you do. And wherever you go. And that the Lord may keep his promise. We've still got to show that the Lord may keep his promise to me. David said he promised me something. Don't ruin this for me. Walk in the ways of the Lord so that you will prosper. So that you will. God will keep his promise to me. And if your descendants watch how they live. And if they walk faithfully before me. With all their hearts and soul. You will never fail have a successor on the throne of Israel. Notice he says, if your descendants walk in such a way, if we have turned the gospel of Jesus into something that we can consume. Something where I say, here are the benefits, is the cost, Worth the benefits, come forward, have a prayer, be baptized, and then therefore we will have, we will have, you will get the benefits. Is the call worth it? But for some reason we've made, because we want people to walk the aisles, because we want people to be baptized, we've made the call very little. All you have to do is But then we start telling you about loving your neighbor. Then we start telling you about forgiving those who have wronged you. Then we start telling that list gets difficult really quickly. All you have to do to follow Jesus is to follow Jesus. But following Jesus takes the Spirit of God. It takes perseverance. Following Jesus, getting started is easy. Like uh, I performed a wedding yesterday here at the church. Um, Robert and um, Connie French now got married. Um, they are not here. They are on a um, 
a vacation in, in spring. And they are, uh, I think will involve turkey hunting, I'm not sure, but married them. And we were waiting on one of the two. One of the two were late. I'm not going to say who. We're not going to. But Robert and I were talking while we were waiting. <laughs> and and he said, how, how long is this, like, how long will you, is a service? Because most people want a quick service. Let me rephrase that. Most grooms want a quick service. They want a quick service because I don't want to, you know, in the salad, I don't want to stand up there in front of people. I don't, like, that's how men don't, don't are you going to make me say something to that woman? No, no, we won't make you talk. You'll say I do, and then she'll say I do, and then you'll nod. Um, we'll, we make it, we want, we want to make the, but he said, what, when's the, when's the, how long is the service? Man, it could be as long as you want it and be short as you want it. The most weddings take forever because people walk in so slowly. They march at halftime into, they say, look at me. It's just the longest tada ever. And so we are, um, I said, but, but once everybody gets up there, we can do the vows. We can do the I do's, we can do the rings, and we can do, add four seconds to that for the kiss. Four seconds at most. Beyond that, you're creeping everybody out. But that happens so fast. The wedding, they all walk in, I can, bam, 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 we're done. If you want a 30-minute wedding service, I've got to preach. I've got to fill time. I told him that. He said, no, don't do that. I did a little. Because people don't realize they planned all of this for what can be taken care of in four to five minutes. And they don't want to have bought the dresses, paraded in, and then just stand there for four to five minutes and then parade out. They want a little pump to their wedding. But in the in actuality, a wedding is super simple. Super easy. A marriage. A relationship is difficult. A celebration, a circumstance, a moment. We can do that all day long. A baptism, that is easy to do. The Sunshine Kids uh, on uh, Wednesday, they asked me, uh, have you ever um, drowned anybody while you were baptizing them? I don't know why I'm the kind of preacher that, I don't know if anyone's ever been asked that before. They're worried. It's like, no, you don't forget that you're baptizing somebody. We can baptize. Getting baptized is really easy. But the life you're committing to after that is serious. Getting married is really easy, but the life you're committing to afterward 
is very serious. It's not a transaction. It's not a commodity. It's a covenant. It's a relationship. God asked his people, his kings, to be in relationship with him. Even though David made some mistakes, God said of him, he is after my own heart. We're talking about relationships here. We're not talking about towing the line at every minute, every day, and God is excited for you to cross it because just wait. Wait till you see what happens, what I do to you when you come again. No. God is eager to be in relationship with His people, but that relationship is difficult. And it's worth it. But we got to quit selling it like it's something that's easy. We've actually got to sell it like it's something that's hard. Reminded of the this story of um, a bunch of um, recruiters came in for the military. And the uh, all of the different, um, I'm not as educated about this as, as you might think. I'm not at all. Um, all of the different branches got up and gave their spill, and they all said, anybody can do this. You can do this. You can do it. Come down. Sign up. Come down. Sign up. Come down. Come on. But um, the Navy man, not the Navy man, the Marines, the man who represented the Marines stood up and said, I see about three of you who could do this. Takes work. And his line was the longest. People want to sign up for something that's bigger than themselves. People want to be a part of something that's, that's more difficult than they've ever imagined. You know, they, we may think we're lazy, but we're not. We're yearning for something more. We're yearning for a relationship, for something new to bring us to new heights, to better selves than we ever thought we could be. And David says to Solomon, if you stay in the way of the Lord, if you stay in the way, God will be with you. God has made promises. Don't back away from the God who has made promises. Solomon builds a temple. He, he does a lot of things from chapter 2 to chapter 9. Um, but the main thing is, uh, not that he almost cut the baby in half, but that he is um, building a temple for God. Something David wanted to do, and God said to David, no, um, there's too much blood on your hands. Your son will do this. So Solomon builds the temple for God. And then once the temple is dedicated, um, Solomon has this um, big um, ceremony. And it is, it is a wonderful thing that happens. That God comes and fills the place with a the cloud. They couldn't even offer sacrifices. They couldn't see. And Solomon offers a prayer. And then God shows up once more. When Solomon had finished building the temple of the Lord and the royal palace had achieved all he had desired to do, the Lord appeared to him a second time as he had appeared to him at Gibeon. The Lord appeared to That's the same verse. The Lord said to him, I have heard the prayer and plea you have made before me. I have consecrated this temple which you have built by putting my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there forever. As for you, if 
You walk before me faithfully with integrity of heart and uprightness as David your father did and do all I command and observe my decrees and laws. I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever as I promised David your father when I said you shall never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. But if you or your descendants turn away from me and do not observe the commands and decrees I have given you and go off to serve other gods and worship them, Then I will cut off Israel from the land I have given them and will reject this temple I have consecrated for my name. Israel will then become a byword and an object of ridicule among all people. This temple will become a heap of rubble and all who pass by will be appalled and will scoff and say, why has the Lord done such a thing to this land, to this temple? People will answer because there'll be people there to answer because they have forsaken the Lord, their God, who brought their ancestors out of Egypt and have embraced the other gods, worshiping and serving them. That is why the Lord has brought all this disaster upon them. At this point, if I'm Solomon, I'm saying, okay, this was kind of a special event. But God needs to remind Solomon and also the author here is making some important foreshadowing. God is reminding Solomon that even though he has had a ton of earthly success, politically, he is brilliant. He has has shown peace. He's made allies with Egypt. He's made allies in the south and the north. He is in charge. He made these several fortified cities on these main roads. He is really wealthy. And everyone in the world would look at him and say, that guy is a success. God says, that's not the standard by which I judge. That's not the standard by which I make my assessment. Solomon, as it turns out, did not follow the way of the Lord. I'm not saying that um, I'm not. You know, we don't we don't teach here the doctrine of once saved, always saved. If you want to talk to me about that later, we believe that the relationship is a screensaver. Apparently, I've gone on too long. We believe. Um. Every relationship God has is um, consistently intentional. Now, we also don't teach, as you may have heard in a church of Christ or in a church in your past, we also don't teach the doctrine of once saved, but barely saved. That God has a strong hold on you. And God is intent in being in relationship with you. But that relationship will be null if you walk away from it. Now, the conversations I've had about this in the past is, uh, well, you know, if someone walks away from it, then they weren't really, truly saved. Okay, well, let's... I'm not going to eat the banana, but I'm going to bite it, chew it, and swallow it. I think we're saying the same thing, just two different ways. still end up not in relationship with God. 
not in covenant. God has called you to more than just church attendance. He has called you to more than just baptism. He's called you to more than just, he's called you to love your neighbor. And that's a lifelong, that's a lifelong job. You're never going to be good at that. There's always a tomorrow in which you can be better at loving your neighbor than there is. You can always get better. You can always get better at forgiving. And as we walk with Jesus, as we walk with God, as we are in relationship with God, He is working on us. And when we walk away from God, we lose the Spirit of God. God God doesn't work on us like we would otherwise. We're not following the King. I've quoted Scott Scott McKnight before here, but I mean, it's just... it's such a simple statement, but the followers of Jesus follow Jesus. And God is, even in the Old Testament and in the New, there are specific conditions God places on His relationship. In your marriage, you stood up and you made promise. You made a covenant. God has made a covenant with you. And his side of the covenant involves sacrifice, involves death, on cross, it involves conquering death, it involves ridicule, it involves shame. And he calls you to go love your neighbor, to go into all the world and tell them about this Jesus. God is holding up His side of the covenant and His side of the covenant is heavier than yours. We're called to hold up our side. We are the kingdom of God. We need to act like The final verdict on Solomon is not a pleasant one. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides we could stop at King Solomon, however. That, pretty sum, that sums it up. God did a great thing. King Solomon, however, did not. He loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughters, uh, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, um, Sidonians, Hittites. They were, they were from the nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them. Because, and this is, you don't just stop there. This is very important. Because they will surely turn your heart after their God. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. It's 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. That is not his wife's fault, that is his fault, and that's the judgment here. They aren't blaming the wives here. They're blaming Solomon. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David, his father. Solomon walked away from God. He found other gods that were easier. He walked away. His fellow... He followed Asheret, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. Now, you're not living in this time, but 
um, the story of his wisdom about the child and then um, his following Molech. Molech was known for um, sacrificing children. And his wisdom failed him eventually. Because you can be as wise as Solomon and walk away from Jesus. You can know as much about your Bible as anyone in your neighborhood and not love your neighbor. What you have in your head and what you have in your mind or in your books are of no indication Where who your of who your heart is following? It's like if someone asked me what what the healthy marriage looked like, and I said, "Well, I don't know, just how, how many marriage books have they read? What do they know?" I've read a lot. I'm still really bad at it when I'm hungry. We are weak and feeble. We aren't. Fantastic. God still loves us and accepts us and even in our broken state seeks after covenant with us. But when we say that, I don't want you to hear he seeks after to give me just one thing after another. He does, but God wants more than anything a relationship with you. And that relationship requires prominent and promise and commitment from both of you. God has made the promise. He's made the commitment. He's made the covenant and he will keep it. The question is, will you? I don't I don't want at the end of my life to hear the story about how Jesus chased after me and the verdict starts with, but Benjamin, however, Chased after whatever he wanted to chase after. But Benjamin, nevertheless, I want my relationship with God to end with a however or a nevertheless. I want it to end with good and faithful service. We are called covenant. We are called to relationship. Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely, as David, his father, has done. You may be feeling a couple of things right now, and I think it's very important to address. You may be thinking, oh man, I'm not as committed as as I want to be. That's a great place to be. I found the best Christians are the ones who aren't as committed as they want to be. In my mind, the, the the lesser is the one who's just as committed as he thinks he should be. We want people to strive for more. And you don't get that when you're content in your future. Now you may, th- and, and again, You may be thinking, wow, am I even saved at all? 
Yes. By the grace of God, you find salvation. You cannot earn the covenant that God has offered you. But once you accept it, we're like Jesus. When people said, hey, I'll follow you. And he said, I don't have a bed. Why would you say that, Jesus? All the church growth experts are saying, Jesus. Tell them about your comfortable views. Why would you tell them that? Because for the kingdom of God to do the work that the kingdom has to do, we need committed members of the kingdom. Not just people who have bought a commodity that serves them when it can and is forgotten in the closet after a while. We are not getting salvation. We are living within a saved relationship with God. Two things this week that you can do. Deepen your relationship with God. Pray. Small prayer. God help me to love my neighbor like I love my We'll find the prayer of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6. Connect with God on a regular basis and be reminded that you are in a bigger relationship than just a self-serving relationship. It's a relationship with God. Second, read about Jesus. We're in chapter uh, 14 of the story. You'll be reading about Jeroboam and Rehoboam. Get forward in your Bible. Just read about Jesus. Get to know Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. I would start with Mark. That's my that's my personal favorite. But all four of the Gospels are going to tell you about Jesus. Know about Jesus. Talk to God. And if you haven't had the moment, that moment when you say publicly to the world, when you say publicly to God, whenever you uh, join Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection, if you haven't had the moment, let's have the moment. But before you have the moment, know that it comes with a covenant. It comes with a relationship. And that you've got to decide whether your life is going to be you chasing after God like God has chased after you or your life is going to end with Jesus chased after those people. However, is Jesus affecting your Tuesday? Are you a kingdom follower on Friday? Because the kingdom of God needs you to be. You do not want to. You do not want to end your life and say Jesus chased after them. However, the grace of God is big and rich and beautiful. In that Jesus is still chasing after you. Undeservedly, Jesus is chasing after you. But He's chasing after you so that He can be in relationship and covenant with. You. 
If you want to enter into that relationship and covenant, if you want to be baptized into Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, forgiveness of sins, the gift of the Holy Spirit, but the gift of the Holy Spirit isn't a toy, it's a tool. A tool by which we follow Jesus. A tool through which we are in relationship with God. You need that relationship, that covenant this morning. You want to relight that fire. Start it for the first time. Please come forward while we stand in